Hi, this is Ben from Overboard. Coming up for you on the show this week, we have all the regular favourites, including the further adventures of Cornflake and, of course, Did You See? We also have not one, but two great interviews for you. The first of these is with Dr Paul Johnson, who tells us about a luxury travel blog. And the second is with Tread the Globes, Chris and Marianne, who tell us all about their adventures travelling the world in their camper van, Trudy. It's a great show, so grab a coffee, sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome to Overboard Podcast, the inside scoop into the world of travel and tourism. And we like to keep it quite simple, so no overthinking, no advertisements, no overproduction, just hearty discussion. And joining me, as ever, is my great friend, Benjamin Clift. Good evening, David. Lovely to be here, as always. Let's start with a little bit of this. So yes, it's the Further Adventures of Cornflake. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, this is our regular feature whereby David and I's imaginary cat sets off somewhere around the globe, sending clues back that which David and, of course, you, the listener, has to decipher. Now, last week, he was in our mystery destination. You got it wrong, Dave. You said Dubai. Um, we had people emailing in, tweeting us, uh, messaging us on Facebook. Did we have any wrong answers, first of all, Dave? We did. We had a few answers. Abdul from Pakistan said Mexico City. Jill from Spain said Washington, D.C. Max from Bulgaria guessed Chicago. And uh, Gavin and David, both from the UK, uh, said Monaco. <laughs> Monaco, a seven-hour flight from London, Monaco. That must have been some uh, terrible turbulence or a huge delay. Unless they were flying, of course, in the Wright Brothers plane in 1903. That would have probably taken seven hours. But unfortunately, chaps, you're incorrect. David, the mystery destination for last week was, of course, New York. We had some right answers, though, didn't we? We did. We had Michael from Germany, of course. He got it right. And Doug from the United States of America both said New York. Ah, do we know if Doug lives in the United States of America? Well, he's from the United States of America. Yes, he does live there. He lives in Virginia. He lives in Virginia. He lives in Virginia, and I hope she's lovely. Now, would you... Would you like to hear this evening's first clue, Dave? You need to get this right, because last last week you were hideously wrong. You flew completely in the wrong direction. I'll give you a little small clue. Generally, if the flight time from London is shorter than from Amsterdam and Frankfurt, we're probably heading west, David, not east, just so you know. Okay. Flight time from London to tonight's mystery destination is roughly one hour and 55 minutes. From Amsterdam, one hour and 25 minutes. And from Frankfurt, one hour and 30 minutes. Once landed, you would be greeted with a population of roughly 602,000. Where in the world is Cornflake? Okay, well, I I think I need a second clue to uh, shore it up, but I've got something in mind. Okay, let's continue then. Did you see the results of our poll, Benjamin? We asked, what do you consider to be a safe social distance during the pandemic? And I can read you the results. Nobody said that they don't believe in social distance and nobody said 24 feet. So we only had the three categories answered. 2% said don't stand so close to me. So they didn't want to be near anybody at all. Uh, 6% said three feet and a whopping 92% said six feet is the uh, safe distance that they consider to be safe social distance. We did actually also, Dave, have um, that poll running on Twitter. And three people answered 
and I don't have the results. So that's a wonderful thank you contribution. Uh, did did you see this week that the uh, International Airline Transportation Association have uh, put on their website a very handy little tool. It's a little map. It's called the IATA's Interactive Travel Restriction Map. You can click on any country and it will tell you all the restrictions and all the regulations for that country if you want to travel in it. It's very handy. If you want, if you are thinking of traveling or have to travel, go onto the International Airline Transport Association's website to use that tool. Now, also in, uh, I think it was in the Red Top newspapers in England this week, they published um, whether you should refrigerate or not refrigerate certain fruits and vegetables. Now, there's a list of ones that you should refrigerate and ones that you don't refrigerate. Ben, I'm going to ask you, do, should you refrigerate mangoes? No. Is the correct answer. Should, should you refrigerate raspberries? Yes. Is the correct answer. Um, you are doing well. Very good. Should you uh, refrigerate spinach? Yes. You're doing very well. Three out of three. What about cauliflower? Oh, yes, definitely. Oh, what about garlic? No. It's as if you've read it. I haven't. I actually haven't read it, just so you know. It's just, it's just that I spend a lot of time in my fridge. Because I'm a fat f- uh, right. Okay. So the the list. Let's quickly go down the list of fruits that you should refrigerate are apricots, blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, cherries, cut fruits, uh, figs, and grapes. And the ones that you shouldn't are apples, avocado, bananas, kiwi, lemons, mangoes, oranges, papayas, peaches, vegetables. The ones you should are green beans, carrots, radish, cabbage, corn, cauliflower, spinach, celery, broccoli, cut veggies. And the ones that you shouldn't put in the fridge are cucumbers, eggplant, garlic, ginger, peppers, potatoes, sweet potatoes, tomatoes and pumpkins. I always keep my tomatoes in the fridge. Well, that's funny because I always keep my cucumber in the fridge, but we obviously clearly shouldn't do that, should we? This is award-winning podcasting, this, isn't it? Let's move on to Marmite. Are you a Marmite, love it or hate it person? I hate Marmite with a, with a passion that burns deep within my soul. Well, you see, I love Marmite, really. I, I, it really it's so flavoursome and strong. I really enjoy it, especially on toast with some butter. It's lovely. Um, and apparently there's a shortage of Marmite. Uh, it's blamed on the surging demand and a shortage of brewer's yeast, which is a key ingredient of Marmite. And apparently you can only buy it in the small 250 gram jars at the moment, and it's prompting a flurry of complaints on social media. Yeah, I heard about this story. Do you think our continental friends know what Marmite is? Do you think you should not explain Uh, what Marmite is? Well, you can buy Marmite in Hungary. Uh, where I live, um, it's in the English section. But Marmite is is like a yeast extract spread. Uh, in Australia, it's called Vegemite, um, and it, it can also be um, labelled up as yeast extract. I've seen as well. So it's one of those, you know, those thick. Uh, um, it's dark, isn't it? Dark, and then it's very sort of sticky in consistency. And you usually put it on toast. So that's what Marmite is. Now. I don't know whether you saw this. Um, There's been a lot of concern, especially in England, but all around Europe, about the zoos during the pandemic. Now, the zoos are struggling. They've not got any guests in, of course, and they're struggling to get the money in. And some zoos are faced with the awful uh, prospect of choosing which animals actually they keep and which they're going to have to sort of let go in in the most awful way. Um, Now, Chester Zoo in the UK, in the north of England, um, it's... uh, 
raised over 2.2 million after calling on people to donate donate directly or to adopt an animal or purchase memberships. Now, you've heard of the frozen food specialist Iceland. Of course I have, because my wife works for them. Oh, well, there you go. So you probably know this. And Iceland have uh, decided to adopt all the penguins because the co- the company epitomises everything frozen. So they've adopted all the penguins in uh, Chester Zoo. What a lovely story. I'm talking, you're talking about the penguins and not the chocolate biscuits in the cafeteria. Yes, I am talking about the actual penguins. Now, for those people that are um, really missing travel, like all of us, really, um, there are a few things suggested on the From Miles to Smiles website that you can do uh, to keep you going until you can actually uh, move again, move countries and move to holiday destinations. Now, here are the lists, and I want to know if you've been doing any of these, Benjamin. Visit travel blogs for new ideas. No. No? Well, our guest later on is Dr. Paul Johnson, who is one of uh, the leading luxury travel bloggers. Uh, so he can also tell us about that. Tune in to travel podcasts. Have you, have you heard of any good travel podcasts? Do you know, there is a travel podcast that I have heard that is really doing very, very well. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Two Clowns run it. Um, oh, I, thought, I thought it was one clown and one very handsome, distinguished man. Listen, David, don't put yourself down. <laughs> okay, what else you can do is plan your next trip. Uh, yes, I've been doing that. Of course I've been doing that. You know very well that we've been doing that. Yep. Pick up a travel-inspired book. Uh, binge watch travel-themed films. Cook dishes from your favourite destinations. You see, your, well, your favourite food is Indian food, isn't it? Yes, and I've been cooking a lot of Indian food, Dave. And I haven't been to India, but it's on my bucket list. I would absolutely love to go. And I would love to actually train as a, an Indian chef, if I could. Oh, I'd like that when I come over to visit. If you could do that, that would be wonderful. Uh, you can tour the world. Yes, tour the world via Google Earth. Yeah, that's a good uh, idea, isn't it? Have you ever have yeah. you Googled your house before, Dave? I did actually use Google Earth when I was uh, buying my house, and uh, obviously it's in a different country to the rest of my family, and so that they could they I, they could have a look at it. It was very handy. I could say, well, this is the house. You could go on Google Earth, and so they could see the road and everything. It was very handy. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Uh, enjoy listening to the music of other countries and relive your past travel adventures through photos and putting things on your pages and websites and what have you. So there's a few things that you can do to keep you going until we can all travel again completely free. Now, talking of completely free, Benjamin, there are a number of countries that have already been uh, announced as COVID-free countries. Now, I'm going to give you the list in no particular order. And as usual, I'm going to make you guess the capital of those countries. So these following countries are COVID-free. New Zealand. Auckland. No, Wellington. Uh, Montenegro. Uh, split. No, I don't know. I don't know. No, 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 split. Podgorica. Yes, of course. Podgorica yourself. Eritrea. Bless you. Uh, Just above Ethiopia. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to know the capital of that, am I? Come on. I don't know. Asmara. Uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, this is ridiculous, David. It's not. They have capitals. Of course they have capitals, uh, but I don't know them, do I? Port Moresby. Okay, see if you can do it. See if you can do it the last four. Seychelles. No, I should know, but I don't. No, go on, tell me. Victoria. Uh, St. Kitts and Nevis. Yeah. Move on. Bas- Basatera. 
You're making these up. No, you'll get this one. Fiji. I can't remember. I don't know. Su- Suva. Yeah, Suva. And fi- final chance to get one out of eight. East Timor. <laughs> <laughs> I should eat some Timor. Yeah, you're right, but I don't know. No, no yes. idea. East Timor is Dilly. Dilly Dally. And we got that information from our friends. You got that information Indian. from a man on the street who was <laughs> just lying to you. The Indian Express website. Okay, so but it's fantastic that all these countries are declared COVID-free. And no, it's brilliant. It's absolutely and, brilliant. And uh, in next week's poll, we will be asking a little bit about which countries you'd like to see. David, um, I know this week has been particularly difficult for you, Dave, uh, because um, you've lost you've lost your mother, um, and obviously from all of us uh, here at Overboard Podcast, we send our condolences to you, especially from myself, my friend, because um, you know you're like a brother to me, and we're we're just ever so sorry, Dave, that you that you've lost your mum this week. Yes, Ben, uh, it's been a particularly hard week, of course. Um, she did. Uh Dies. It was declared COVID nineteen. Uh, she was in a nursing home. Um, she'd been there, obviously, under isolation. She'd not seen any family for ten weeks, and uh, she got taken into hospital. And unfortunately, due to these conditions, she couldn't see anyone at the end either. No one could come in to see her, which was particularly annoying and uh, upsetting. Uh, we were saying a couple of weeks ago how. Upsetting it is for people that have lost people during this d- disastrous time and they couldn't get to say goodbye. And I never thought that it would be me that would have to be talking about it a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very tough. I'm a bit angry, Ben, to be honest. Um, I'm angry the fact that she lives in the United Kingdom or she lived in the United Kingdom and that they have the worst record. And, you know, the anger builds inside you because you just think if she was living in, in Hungary or one of the other, or New Zealand, then obviously she might still be alive. So the anger is there and, and building steadily, but that's that's it. But thank you for everybody who's sent me messages. It's really meant a lot in the last few days. Thank you. God bless you, David, and rest in peace to your lovely mum. The Burr Adventures of Cornflake. Clue number two then, David. The city has the oldest and second oldest amusement parks in the world. The first was opened in 1583 and the second in 1843. Where in the world is Cornflake? Amusement Arcade. Um, Okay, I have no idea. Amusement Arcade. Um, Okay, um, right, okay. I'm struggling a bit with that one, but let me think. All right, we'll be back with number three a little bit later on. This week, David and I got the opportunity to talk to Dr. Paul Johnson. Dr. Paul is the editor of A Luxury Travel Blog, one of the most popular travel blogs in the world, and he leads a team of more than 700 writers and guest bloggers. Dr. Paul has worked in the travel and tourism industry for 30 years and has travelled extensively. He's also the director of the Dedicated Partnership Limited, an online tourism marketing company with a client base that includes some of the finest hotels in the world. This year, in the face of COVID-19, Dr. Paul founded the Facebook group Travel Industry COVID-19 Coronavirus Support Group, a group that is designed to offer support to all members of the travel industry, both during and in the aftermath of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Now, he's featured many times on both BBC Radio and CNN, so we were absolutely delighted that he agreed to join us for a chat on our Overboard podcast. 
First, we wanted to know, why did he create a luxury travel blog? Uh, I first set up a blog for, for our first son who had been born in 2004. And then uh, the following year, I set up a luxury travel blog. It obviously sat, uh, sat alongside what I did work-wise, which was I was uh, designing and marketing websites for the tourist industry. And I had a, a very strong interest in the luxury travel industry, having just been on honeymoon. And, and I've always had an interest in, in that area. So it seemed a natural progression and it was something at first I just did in my lunch hours whilst whilst running my web design and marketing business. Great. OK, fantastic. And now it's obviously grown to be one of the most popular travel blogs in the world. So that's that's incredible. I mean, we've got some facts here. 140,000 unique visitors per month and with more than 710,000 followers on Twitter and over 270,000 on Facebook. I mean, it must have surpassed all of your expectations. Well, certainly at the time, yeah, I had no idea. I mean, it, there were very few blogs around in those early days. Most of those that did exist were uh, kind of budget budget backpackers going across Southeast Asia, just documenting their own trips. So what I was doing at, at the time in those very early days was different from, from other travel bloggers. And I think that probably helped me in the long run. I was not only doing something different at the time, but also quite an early adopter as well. We wanted to know how often Paul travelled pre-COVID-19? It could be quite sporadic and vary. So it might be the case that I, I didn't go on a trip for a couple of months, or it might be I've got three trips in two weeks. So, but on average, probably about once a month. My travel blog's different from many others, and it's not just documenting my own travels, which I think people's common perception of a, a travel blog is. Um, it's my role is or, or that is one part of what I do but my role is more an editorial one uh, dealing with contributions from from lots of different people on the blog. We wanted to know what was the overall feeling of his contributors and followers about the pandemic? Well a lot of our contributors are, are people who work in the industry and uh, without doubt um, it's been a huge impact um, that goes without saying I suppose. Um, I remember going to a conference just before the UK had its lockdown and uh, people were muttering that this was like uh, the aftermath of 9-11. Um, and I was thinking at the, at the time then, I think this could be much greater, but it was the early days, so it was hard to tell. And I would say it's certainly a far greater impact than than, than that event or, or any of the other events that have happened, uh, such as SARS and MERS and all these other events that the travel industry has managed to pull through. Next, we wanted to know about his Facebook group. Why did he set it up? And what common themes was he seeing throughout the threads and the questions from his members? I was on various travel blogger groups and, and various other travel industry groups. And I could see that there was obviously a, a need for all these people to get together and share their concerns and perhaps just get a bit of a morale boost from other people from other sectors within the industry that were in a similar situation. I also knew knew of somebody completely different who had set up. Uh, he worked for an he works for an accountancy firm, and he worked he had set up a group for people that to advise them on things like furlough and all this all all the all the things they needed to learn. Um, so I thought, oh well, why not one for the travel industry? And I I looked around. There were some in existence already, uh, but they hadn't really gathered any momentum. So. I thought here's an opportunity to to really make a difference. In the very early days of the group, uh, there was 
there were clearly a few um, issues between different members of the industry regarding the policy of, of refunds and who was to blame and so on. So we had to then sort of uh, clamp down on that quite quickly and say and stress that this was meant to be a support forum. Um, but once we got over that hurdle, uh, people have been a lot more understanding and um, they've been very supportive, sort of sharing positive news of, uh, for instance, I saw one the other day about uh, New Zealand no longer having any active cases and various borders opening up and, and things people could do to um, hopefully come back strongly. Yeah, it must be a tremendous worry for people in the uh, travel industry. With uh, I, I read on the World Travel and, and, and Tourism uh, uh, website that it's 100 to 120 million jobs at risk at the moment, uh, and uh, tourism accounting for one in 10 jobs worldwide. Uh, have you had a lot of people sort of in, in, a, in a sort of panic about their jobs on the, on the support group? Um, yeah, very much so. There's There's... There's lots of people that have posted saying I've worked in the industry for 30, 40 years and sorry to go and things like that, which is very sad. Obviously, there's, there's jobs already lost uh, or people uncertain as to whether they're going to retain their jobs as well. So it, it is certainly very worrying times. I mean, obviously, this isn't just restricted to the travel industry, but, but the travel industry is one that's particularly seen the impact of, of what's happened. Well, st sticking with that sort of theme, we, we've seen smaller firms like Caledonian Travel alongside uh, more established British operators like Wallace Arnold and Shearings Folding. Um, so we know that there is sort of anxiety amongst these uh, independent and smaller travel businesses. Do you think there is some light at the end of the tunnel with, uh, with, with people that, that will maybe want to book something more, more local? Uh, Paul Walters of Premier Travel recently said that the customers will turn to the high street more to see who they can trust locally. So I think that they will do better. Do you, do you think that there's some truth in that? Yeah, I, I, I think there's certainly um, the whole situation with travel agents is an interesting one because um, obviously there's been a, a lot of problems with refunds and, and so on. But um I think that where we're going to see the the most immediate return is probably in the in the domestic travel industry, um, wh whatever country you you happen to be in. Um, so the the case of Caledonian Travel is quite an interesting one because that's part of um, Specialist Leisure Group, which Shearings and Wallace Arnold are, are members of, um, and they were quite strong in the in the domestic market. So that, that's quite worrying that that the future wasn't bright for them, given that they're probably in the sector of the industry that was due to bounce back strongest in the initial months and, and weeks when we get over the, the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I think uh, obviously we've people who, who do, do their bookings independently um, may rethink that, that strategy and, and go for um, booking with agents where they get uh, protection from the likes of Apple and Abstra. We were interested to know what Paul thought the impact might be on the luxury travel market post-COVID-19. Uh, that's an interesting one, because I would say that luxury travel probably has the potential to be impacted least of all from this. And I have read articles that say luxury travel will bounce back stronger than any other sector. I mean, if you think about it, uh, just from uh, the point of view, it depends what, what kind of luxury travel you're thinking about, but obviously 
the private jet industry has has thrived relative to other areas of the uh, of the aviation industry uh, because people can more easily social distance the same goes applies for first class and business class travel and the same applies when you get to your accommodation and uh, hotels and resorts that are, should we say higher end do tend to come with um, the luxury of space as well so um, I think luxury travel could could come out of this quite strongly once once things do settle down. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned flights there in first class. I mean, how do you see air travel coping post COVID nineteen? I mean, what do you think are going to be the most notable differences? Well, we're we're finding our airlines are collapsing, aren't they, and stuff like that. But again, is it going to impact on the luxury market? Longer check in times and queues, reduced um, first class well, services, etc. Uh, in the in. In the luxury travel market, you don't really have long check-in times and queues because you get to go join a different queue or even no queue queue at all. But I, I was, yeah, <laughs> I was speaking to somebody who who just flew the other day in this in the, from Mexico to the states, I think it was, um, and he said on the ground the the experience at the, at the airports was was fairly good. Obviously, there's fewer fewer passengers and tr- people traveling, so that that wasn't an issue. But where it was more difficult was on on the plane itself. Uh, so I think there are a lot of challenges there. I mean, I heard uh, O'Leary from Ryanair talking the other day, who he was saying that there's literally not even if you leave a gap between seats, there's still not two meters between people. So logistically, and and then you've got the people in front of you as well. Logistically, that's really really difficult. Um, so the, there's no, without doubt, there's lots of challenges ahead. Martin Drew, the Etihad Vice President for Europe and America, said that although the air quality on the aircraft is equivalent to a hospital operating theatre, he said it's impossible to maintain social distancing on an aircraft. So Yeah, and it, it, it obviously it, it dep- depends at what stage of the aftermath of the pandemic we're talking about. Obviously, if there's, if there's a vaccine, then we might see us be able to return to some level of, of what we had before. I asked Paul... How would you get to write for a luxury travel blog? We have two kinds of people who write for a luxury travel blog. Uh, we have uh, people who are actually in the industry. So they might have uh, their own tour operator business or uh, they might have a hotel and they write uh, perhaps with a slightly different cap on to the other type of writer. So uh-huh. they, they will write, for example, if it was a hotel in London, they might write about uh, top things to go and see and do in London or places to eat out and so on. And then the other kind of writer that we have is is effectively an aspiring travel writer who just wants to to uh, get noticed and perhaps has a blog of their own, which they're trying to, to uh, build up a following on as well. So uh, in that kind of category, um, I would say people obviously... Um, recognize what the luxury travel luxury traveler is looking for uh, and try to write with that in mind and finally it seems like a very obvious question and paul's probably been asked it on a number of occasions but did he have any favorite destinations that he'd visited that he could recommend to our listeners there's a couple of places that spring to mind Uh, i spent quite a bit of time in greenland before my um uh, back in my student days when i was i actually did a phd in glaciology uh, so I had a couple of trips out to Greenland, which I would say is just a beautiful, pristine uh, place. Very friendly people, the few that you meet. 
Uh, and the other place that springs to mind is I, I spent a bit of time on honeymoon in Tanzania uh, mm. on safari, and I really enjoyed that also. Every week, Paul, uh, we ask our guests to give us two songs, the name of two songs, which mean something to them during this sort of isolation period of, of lockdown. Uh, this week, uh, Paul, you've chosen your first choice is Top Loader, Dancing in the Moonlight. Yeah, I think it's one of those songs that uh, it's, it's hard to feel down when you're, when you're listening to it. I know a lot of people during isolation are, are struggling with things like mental health as well. And it's one of those songs that it's difficult to listen to without feeling quite upbeat. It is a, definitely a feel-good song. Right. OK, this was originally recorded by French-American group King Harvest in 1972 when it got to number five in Canada. But the top-loader version, do you know which year it was released, Benjamin? It's 2000. Paul, what year do you think it's from? I'm going to say a bit earlier than that. 96? Uh, it was actually 2000. Ben was right. Ooh. Top load of the band from Eastbourne. You know what number it got into in the UK charts? What number it got to? Uh, ben? It definitely got to number one. Paul? I'm going to guess number one as well, but I don't know. It, it wasn't that successful in the UK. Actually. Number seven in the UK. Yeah. Uh, it got to number three in Belgium. Paul's second song is from the Northern Irish group, D-Ream. Things can only get better. That's right. Um, I thought that was quite an apt song at the moment um there's actually a lyric in there that says uh i must learn to deal with this disease i look at things now in a different light than i did before so that seemed quite out well very good yeah it was it's been described as a prophetic anthem although uh, physicist dr brian cox described it as one of the most misleading and scientifically inaccurate pop songs that's ever been written <laughs> and, and, and you know why dr brian cox is relevant to this song Yes, because he uh, was the keyboard why? player. He was. Oh, Did you well, know that, Paul? Uh, in hindsight, yes, but I haven't thought. Yeah, yeah. Okay, which year was it released, Benjamin? This is one of those songs that you're meant to love, and I can't stand it. But it was <laughs> 1987. Paul, uh, I'd go for the 90s again. So uh, 92. I don't know. Well, Paul's won that one because it was 1993. Oh, wow! Uh, which number did it get to? In the UK? Three? Well, yeah, I'm going to say four. It was number one. It was a massive number one in the UK. Um, number two in Finland and number three in Israel. And in 1997, it was re-released as a campaign song for the Labour Party. So, clue number three, David, in the further adventures of Cornflake this evening. Now, our destination is a foodie lover's heaven, with no less than 16 Michelin-starred restaurants located within the city. This makes it the city with the most Michelin-starred restaurants in the world. Where is Cornflake? OK, I've changed my mind now with that clue. Yep, I think I've, I think I've got it. All right, excellent stuff. Well, we'll find out a little bit later on. OK, David, would you like to meet tonight's second special guests? I'm very excited to. Excellent, because tonight's second special guests are a couple who don't do things by half. In May 2018, they set off on a special adventure that few can only dream of. Having sold all their possessions and quit the so-called perfect life of great jobs, a nice house and loads of stuff, our intrepid explorers have made it their mission to visit every country on the planet 
armed with nothing but a great sense of adventure and their trusty steed, Trudy the Camper Van for company. Here to tell us all about it, will you please give a warm overboard podcast welcome to Chris and Marianne. Hello. 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 Hey. Nice to speak to you. How are you? We're fabulous, thank you. Um, you actually omitted one other thing we brought with us, and that is our sense of humour. <laughs> oh, yes, how could I? Regularly. How could I possibly leave that out? I'm ever so sorry. I will edit that in at the end. <laughs> Depend, depending, of course, on how this interview goes. <laughs> Where are you in the world right now? Uh, so we are currently in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, we've been here for around three uh, three months. We were planning to spend three weeks in Turkey um, as part of our around the world drive, and then of course COVID hit, and uh, we've yeah we've been in the car park for nearly three months. Yes, we actually live in a car park. And <laughs> <laughs> um, um, what's the what's the temperature like today? Because I, I was watching on one of the videos how hot it gets in that van. Is it hot today? It is very warm. I'm um, for all those people that enjoy washing uh, and using washing machines. I'm a. I can actually get about four loads of washing done in one day. Uh, Trudy wow. has never been cleaner. Her covers, uh, the sheets, the bedding, everything. Um, we've all been filling our days with things to keep ourselves occupied. And that was my thing. I guess that when you when you started planning this journey, one of the things you didn't think about is that you would be stuck in a car park for three months. But I want to sort of take us back, if you can, to the day when you decided to, to make this journey and change your life forever. Where were you? Why? Talk to us about that. Well, we uh, we had the perfect lifestyle, some might say. We had uh, a nice house. It was all paid off. The children have left home. Uh, we had good jobs. And uh, life was ticking over very nicely. Um, and then there was a few life-changing things that uh, just made us re-look at the, our outlook on life. I um, lost a friend to a heart attack um, in his mid-40s. Marianne's best friend um, had kidney failure and she ended up donating her a kidney and we just sat back and thought you know we don't know what tomorrow holds and uh, we just yeah we just did some calculations worked it out and th figured out that if we actually sold everything we own and rented out the house then um, traveling full-time was possible yeah we live very frugally um, and carefully um, but we have really embraced the ethos that it's collecting moments and memories and not having juices, blenders and loads of gadgets in the kitchen that you never use. 16 chopping boards, 47 chopping knives um, and a TV in every room. Certainly an adventure then. And uh, what about the reaction of your family? What did, did some of them think you were a little bit unhinged or were they all super positive? I think some of them knew us uh, and realised that we were unhinged and there was, no, there was no point fighting it. I was, I was actually brought up to be very career minded. Um, my dad's very career minded. And when I told him I was quitting my, my good job and I was going to sell everything that I'd spent my whole life working for, uh, to buy a six-meter camper van, uh, he definitely thought I had was having the ultimate midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually took us nearly a year. I I quit my job. Um, I was diagnosed with. I've got an irregular heartbeat, and uh, I, I had a, a stressful job in the NHS. And I just thought, you know, 
let's just do this. And it, it took me, I think, maybe, maybe a year to decorate the house, sell everything we owned. There was car boot sales and uh, eBay and all, all the usual ways of getting rid of bits and pieces. And, and it's funny, actually, because you fill your house with stuff. And when you come to sell it, you realize that most of it is worthless. That, that you know, that 60-inch TV you've got in your front room, nobody really wants it anymore because the technology's changed. You become attached to things that actually are meaningless, don't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You really, really do. Um, and uh, we, we always say it's the memories that you create rather than physical things. Um, and we, we said, you know, you're ne we're never going to be on our deathbed wishing we had more money in the bank or a bigger house or, or we, were, we would be thinking about, you know, those funny moments when we broke down or got stuck in a car park in Istanbul. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's just go back then. So every, everything is sold. The house is decorated. It's rented out. Trudy's got a tank full of petrol and you're hitting the open road for the first time. Now, did you have a fixed route plan from the start or do you allow for deviations due to unforeseen circumstances? We were really lucky because um, literally it all happened at once. I hate to say it, but the stars aligned. <laughs> <laughs> the hippie in the van within. Um, and we actually had an invite for um, some friends' uh, wedding in Ireland. So it literally, as it all came together, I said to Chris, listen, we've never been to Ireland. We, we live in the West Midlands. We can almost see it if we drive to Wales. We can almost see Ireland over the sea. Uh, let's just do it. So we got a one-way ticket to um, Ireland and we decided that we would go to the wedding and hang out and see what happened. And we ended up spending three months there. That was our first adventure. Yeah, we drove around the whole coastal road of Ireland, literally from uh, Belfast all the way around to Belfast um, and it was absolutely fabulous the wild Atlantic way um, the locals the the the, the Guinness the uh, the sun the sunsets and mountains we even saw dolphins jumping uh, parked up on top of wow. top of the Kilke Cliffs when we were there and it was actually the summer not last summer but the summer before when they had their heat wave so we had two days of rain in three months Fantastic. So how, how long do you plan to stay in each destination? Is each destination prepared slightly different? Or? Um, yeah, it, it really depends on the on the adventure we're doing. So so our challenge was you know, to visit every country in the world before we die or die trying um, in either our van or with a backpack. Um, so Ireland, we'd planned a, a roughly three months or as long as it took. Um, when we went to, we flew last year to Central America and spent five months um, backpacking all the countries they say you shouldn't go to. Um, and uh, that was sort of spread evenly because when you're not working, by the time you pay for your flights to a destination or a region of the world, uh, you can't afford to just stay there for a couple of weeks and then fly on. You have to really embrace a country. So five months in Central America uh, was how we did that. But the round the world trip, was um, really planned um, on visas, weather, um, cash flow. And a, a lot of it was like Turkey was, you know, with three weeks to drive across it. Uh, normally, if we came to a country the size of Turkey, we would spend longer to really get into it. But the around the world trip was more about can we physically drive our van all the way around the globe? So listen, you need to tell us because your niece named your trusty uh, camper van uh, Trudy, but can you remind us why she called it that? Um, just because she's slightly mad. No, um, she, <laughs> <laughs> I, t I took her out for um, a drive uh, in Trudy and she said, um, Uncle Chris, we need to give her a name. 
and we'd already come up with tread the globe and i said well you know what should we what should we call it and she just looked at me and she said i think trudy the tread van sounds very good and it's just kind of stuck and the van's been uh, been called trudy ever since in fact it's funny because we've got it printed on the side of the van um people come up to marianne and go hi trudy and I'm actually Marianne. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I actually resisted the name Trudy. Uh, When Molly and Chris came back from their drive, Molly, as uh, she was 13 then, came bounding up to me. She's like, Auntie M, I'm going to call your van Trudy. And I looked at her and I went, well, and she literally did, you know that thing when the kids click their fingers and like (laughs) throw it around their faces (sighs) and and did did the little shuffle um and said uh no auntie m uh it's trudy and i decided at that point there are some battles you're just never gonna win and uh (laughs) that was one of them and what what is she equipped with not your niece obviously trudy (laughs) (laughs) uh trudy is uh six meters as we said she's got solar panels on the roof we've got a couple of leisure batteries uh, she's got a lifesaver water purification system that somebody very kindly gave to us. Um, she has a fridge. She has two uh, two gas burners, um, a sink. She also has a shower and a toilet, um, a large water tank. Uh, the two seats at the front turn round uh, to make like a little social area. And then she's got a fixed bed at the back. Uh, we've also got a Wi-Fi system so we can link up. Uh, we buy Normally we buy SIM cards on every border, pop them into the Wi-Fi system, and then we can um, link up six, or, six to eight devices each time. Uh, she's got an awning on the side as well. And uh, there's a bench seat uh, that has two extra seat belts and a little dining room table, and that turns into an extra large, single, very small double bed. Um, so yeah, she's got everything we need. In fact, we did a van tour. So if anyone gets really excited about vans, um, there is a van tour on the YouTube channel. Before you took on this intrepid journey, were, were you shower people or bath people? Oh, I was a bath person. I, Chris. I could lie in the bath for hours yeah. and uh, oh. quite happy. Put YouTube on the, on, on the laptop on the sink, sit back and watch, a, watch an hour's episode of something, yeah. wallowing in, in the bath. Absolutely amazing. Um, so, yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah. If you were to do that now, Chris, you'd be watching yourself on YouTube because you've got something like 25,000 followers. How does it feel to be YouTube stars? It's funny, actually, <laughs> because when we started the YouTube channel, um, I did it really because uh, our kids sort of said, you know, you should make YouTube videos and then we can see what you're up to. Um, so I just started researching had it edit videos i mean i used to watch youtube anyway and um it just kind of started from there i never thought we would have so many subscribers in fact we said to our son recently did you think your mum and dad would ever get over a thousand subscribers and he looked at us and he went no to be honest no we didn't <laughs> and uh, so so the fact we're nearly on 18 18,000, i think he's quite impressed and they are uh, they are extremely well made. So oh, the future yeah. then the future is is Russia still the plan next? Well, the biggest problem um, we have is so okay. Backtrack. the The plan was from from Turkey to go Georgia, Russia, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, back into Russia, and then ship to the Americas. Um, obviously, with the current situation at the moment, Turkey's borders are all still closed. Um, 
if we if they do open up and we're able to continue there is the issues of things like travel insurance now because the trip was supposed to take us around 20 months to two years we were planning on renewing our travel insurance on the road um and there's very few companies that actually do that but the one the one that we were using um due to the situation aren't issuing new policies so we don't want to be faced with the situation where we get to the far end of russia um, and we're about to head to the States and we can't get medical insurance because during a pandemic, that wouldn't be very sensible. Prior to COVID-19, you obviously had a clear plan. What, when would, did you expect to reach your final destination? Well, we were, uh, this, if, if, if everything was going according to plan right now, we would be in Mongolia. Um, so we, you can see we're quite a bit behind schedule. But we were planning to get to the far end of Russia around Vladivostok um, to start shipping it to the States end of july to the to the middle of august um and then uh, we were going to travel in um, the states and canada and, and head back to the uk um sort of late autumn next year and then what and then that's 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 the end of season three and then season four would be something something completely different we have toyed <laughs> with the idea of buying a tuk-tuk and starting at one end of thailand and just driving all the way to the other end of, of thailand we thought that might be quite now this fun. this for me is a netflix series have you been on to netflix <laughs> we have we watch netflix all we the watch time. it but we haven't been on it to them we're, we're more we're than waiting happy. for that phone call i <laughs> said i can hear that i can hear it vibrating in the background there's now. still time there's still time all right very quickly then before we uh, go on to the isolation zone we just want to very quickly favorite and least favorite destination and why I loved El Salvador um, because it was one of those places we queued up at the border. Everybody, every tourist in front of us was skipping it. So we decided to spend longer there. And uh, it's one of those countries that Ross Kemp and everybody else says, don't go. It's dangerous. And we had the best time. And I love surprises like that when you travel. Um, every country that we've been to, you always see things that aren't necessarily what you would hope for your child or your pet. But. We've never been somewhere we think, oh, this is dreadful. I fear for my life. It's awful. Um, because there's always some kind of support network or some kind of like safety net put in place by the locals. You know, the, the guys here are always feeding the local animals. They're, there's, they've put in a water facility for the refugees to be able to come in and wash. So there's always something there, isn't there? Guys, what would your advice be for those people who may be listening and contemplating doing the same as you? Just do it. You know, life is too short. I, I say to people, if, if you knew you weren't going to be here in two years time, would you change what you're doing and the way you're living? Because if the answer is yes, you're living the wrong way. Mm. Um, and I don't mean go out and party and blow all your money, but I just mean, you know, like the core of your existence. You know, if you want to do it, yeah. just do it. As always, we ask our guests what their isolation songs are. These are songs that have meant something to them during the uh, lockdown. They can be motivational, inspirational, or just songs that just get them going. And we asked Chris and Marianne for theirs. 
Okay, first of all, I want to say we had a big debate about this and I was saying, no, no, we don't sound cool. We need to sound cool. No, really, we can't say that because that's just not cool. Um, And Chris was laughing and saying, yeah, but you love dancing around in the van to this song. So I did. It's just one of those songs. It's just ridiculously catchy and very silly. And when I wash up, I just love to like have a bit of a bouncy, silly song. and it's a bit like, let's just get on with it kind of song. And 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 if Marianne's having a bad day, I look at her and go, princesses don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, now, there was no need to sound cool because you should have heard our choices on the pilot episode. Um, oh. Let me just tell you a, a few facts about that song. Carice is uh, the Canadian 22-year-old actress. She's called Aviva Chiara Mongilo. Uh, oh. it, it was a sleeper hit which went viral on TikTok, uh, 850,000 videos were made using this song. Um, and the year, do you know the year, Benjamin? No. no. I've, never, I've never heard of this song. <laughs> this is a wild stab in the dark. I'm, it's going to be 2010. Uh, Chris and Marianne? Reckon, let's say um, 2017. Yeah, I was going to say around there. It must be quite recent, I think. It, it was more months. recent, yeah. It was actually 2019, so it was actually Look last year. There you go. Late yeah. last year as well. So it's it's become a, a sleeper hit very quickly. Right. It's a very okay. good song. Let's move on to the second one. The second one, I'm sure we all know this one. R.E.M., the end of the world as we know it, and I feel <laughs> fine. And is that not appropriate or what? <laughs> Well, I have, I have sung that a few times. In fact, um, it's funny because I have a bit of a bond with REM because in my days at the Dorchester in London, I was the special visits manager and I met and looked after Michael Stipe many times. And um, yeah, I've been to a number of REM concerts. Yeah. They, they are they are no more um, as a band, but um, they're cool. I've got I've got a soft a soft spot for this song, and it just it just uh, it just felt very appropriate at the moment. It is very appropriate. Michael Stipe described it as a collection of streams of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It was actually inspired by Bob Dylan's subterranean uh, homesick blues. Okay. And would you believe the onlo- the online downloads of the song have increased one hundred and eighty four percent during the pandemic? Wow. Yeah. That's believable. That's totally believable. Benjamin, now, I, which I, year? I might be totally wrong here, but and you're probably going to tell me, Chris, that I am totally wrong. Oh, I don't I'm know. Led to, I'm led to believe that they never play that song because Michael Stipe can't remember the lyrics. <laughs> I don't know that's true. I've actually never heard them sing it in a concert. Yeah. To be fair, I haven't. Um, you know, and I might well embarrass myself because the year it came out, I don't actually know. Um it, uh, I don't know, that sort of thing. I would say mid-90s. I, th- I think it's earlier than that. I think yeah, it's 87. Oh, Benjamin. 93. Let's go 93. That's a guess, because I'm trying to think. I think it was, it wasn't it in Independence Day? Well, we, Ben was right. It was 1987. <laughs> was it? Really? Oh. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a very good guess. Good for although, you. although saying that, Chris, it was re-released in 1991 and it got the highest wow. position in the UK charts. Do you want to have a guess what it got to in the UK charts? Top 10. Must be top 10. 28. Well, it wasn't a big hit, actually. It, it just crept in the chart. Number 39 Ooh, in the UK. Wow. Although in its first release, it got to number four in Australia. 
Oh my goodness, does wow. that see, mean I chose a cooler song than Chris? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Never. <laughs> okay. So, three down, two to go. Your penultimate clue, David. It's one of the greenest cities in the world, with plans to be carbon neutral by 2025. Over the past decade, the city has cut its emissions by nearly a third through the use of wind and solar power, as well as heating systems that recycle waste material. An offshore wind farm, visible to most visitors who fly into the city, currently supplies 4% of its energy. Where in the world is Cornflake? Okay, I'm still sticking with my previous guess. All right, good. Okay, well, we'll find out a little bit later on. So that's really about it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the wonderful interviews. We really enjoyed doing them this week. Um, We have a poll for next week as well. Next week's poll, out of the following COVID-free countries, which would you most like to visit? A, Fiji, B, New Zealand, C, the Seychelles, D, Montenegro, or E, St. Kitts and Nevis. Nevis, 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 Nevis. Um, We would like to thank our contributors this week. Of course, our team, Matthias van Dort, Oliver Diak and Darren Collins, as well as our guests, Dr. Paul Johnson. You can go to his website, his uh, very leading blog, www.aluxurytravelblog.com. Also, Chris and Marianne Fisher, treadtheglobe.com. You can find out all their adventures at treadtheglobe.com. And, of course, on YouTube, Tread the Globe. If you are enjoying the shows, please subscribe through your listening platform. This way it will download and it will be ready for you very neatly to listen to. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Anchor and others. Uh, Also, we want you to contact us. Uh, Let us know what you think, suggest items to cover, people to interview, uh, questions to ask on polls. Please interact with us. You can go onto our website, which is over-board.com, on our Facebook page, which is at Overboard Podcast, all one word, board spelt B-O-R-E-D, and on Twitter, which is at Overboard 5, board spelt B-O-R-E-D. The Burr Adventures of Cornflake. So, Pinya is back, David. Your final clue tonight for the further adventures of Cornflake is this. The city has a self-governing Freetown which sits just outside the city centre. The autonomous Freetown, Christiana, is home to about 1,000 residents and is a self-governing part of the city. Now, Christiana residents don't pay taxes and run the Freetown according to their own laws, most famously the selling and using of marijuana. While, vis- <laughs> While visitors are welcome here, cameras and cars are not allowed inside. Where in the world is Cornflake? Well, um, I know it. So I know it because I've been there. So um, I I do know. Okay, so you're saying it's... Well, you'll have to tune in next week to find out whether you're right or wrong. So if you do think you do know at home, give us a little uh, message on either Twitter or Facebook or send us an email. Let us know where Cornflake is. And of course, we will reveal it next week. So that wraps it up for this week. Benjamin, say goodnight. Goodnight. Goodnight.
Any views or opinions represented in this podcast are personal and do not represent those of people, institutions or organisations that contributors may or not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity. The contributors to the podcast make no representations as to the accuracy or completeness of any information on the podcast or any site found by following any links discussed within.